so excited to be here with you guys. Awesome. I hope that you're excited as well. I see a couple people leaving. Sorry about that. You, know, you thought Pastor Tom was going to preach. Just kidding. I'm just joking. Just have to use the restroom. Fine. All right. My name is Mark Elliott, and I'm the student pastor here at Spring Hill Church. I've been here for 13 years. So, yeah, that's been exciting as well. Um, I have three kids. All of them um, are not teenagers anymore. So that's pretty exciting as well. They're currently in the state of adulting, um, various stages of that, but they're doing it. Sweet. Um, also, recently we went on a Kenya missions trip, Spring Hills Church did. Um, one of the things I absolutely love about missions here at Spring Hills is the fact that, could you, I'm sorry, could you bring up my laptop just in the back so I can kind of see where it's cued? Thank you. Um, one of the things I love about missions here at Spring Hills is the opportunity that we have to partner together um, with other um, people in other countries, missionaries in other countries. Um, a lot of the missionaries that we work with are actually nationals of that country, including uh, when we took our trip to Kenya. Um, which it was pretty exciting. Um, I'm going to share a video in just a second if that will come up. Um, they're working on it. I know they are. Um, so yeah, so it was pretty exciting. Now, what, the other thing I love about missions and having those um, missions moments where we're kind of all together is the fact that we um, are able to take teenagers and adults. Um, I believe that what teenagers need is not um, not just other cool young teenagers to hang out with, but um, adults, older adults in various stages of life to share life with, to get mentoring from. Um, there's a lot that you learn from someone who has, um, who is retired and kind of in a stage of life where they're um, thinking back over a long life and thinking back to all the different things um, that they've accomplished in their own life and then sharing that with teenagers who are obviously still in the midst and throes of not just hormones, but making a lot of crazy decisions um, and that kind of thing. But it's all good. It's not their fault. Their prefrontal cortex is not completely formed. So we'll give them a little bit of a break on that. Sweet. I'm not sure. Do you need me to put in my code on my laptop? It is blank. Gavin is up there. He's doing a great job. Hey, can you give a hand to our tech team? They do an awesome job every week. Um, We're just so blessed by them. Even when things aren't going perfectly, there's often are things that are out of their control. So there it is. I hear it. Awesome. Just make sure that the HDMI cable is, is plugged in. It was working earlier, so awesome. Go get it. That is the Kenya Missions trip. Um, there's a picture of me with a monkey on my head in the video. Um, there's a picture of Pastor Gary, a video of him preaching. And then this is a video clip where the kids are singing for us. As we walked into, it came up? No. As it came up, um, as we came into Gloria Academy, there were, I don't know, a couple hundred kids that were there, and they're singing, welcome, welcome, welcome to Gloria. Um, so that was, that was very exciting. It was humbling um, to have them be that excited about us being there um, and, and kind of engaging, overwhelming emotionally, um, because you hear about these kids that we are waiting to sponsor that are in the back of the room, but then when you see their little faces, it's just like, these are real kids, not just pictures. Um, so I've seen them. We played with them. Um, they are real, and there are still, I think, 31 or so that need, I'm sorry, 37. I can't, you just can't. 29. Thank, 29, great job. Okay, 
thus saith the voice in the back of the room. Thank you, Wendy. Um, yeah, so last night, several uh, students, uh, several of the kids got adopted. I am hoping, this is my hope and my prayer, and I'm not, I'm not a high-pressure salesperson. I am hoping that by the end of the weekend service, that's up to you guys and next service, that we can have the majority, I would love for all of them, but at least the majority of these kids sponsored, um, that would be absolutely amazing. One of my biggest takeaways from my trip to Kenya was, as well, the importance of the activity that we are involved in. It's not judged by time, but on the significance of the individuals who will be there. In other words, we don't start at 9 a.m. According to them, we start when everyone has arrived. So you take your watch off and you set it aside in your luggage and then you just forget about it. But what I found is this, that the ability to be purposeful in the abiding time can sometimes make all the difference. The ability to be purposeful when you're waiting and when you're resting during that time can make all the difference. Uh, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? We're going to take a look at Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Here's what it says. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Father, we thank you. We could easily be overwhelmed by the work that you've called us to do. We can easily feel as if we personally don't have the resources. And yet, when we invite you, when we linger, when we wait a moment, when we abide in you, we remember that you own the cattle on a thousand hills. Father, that we would have the faith that we need to step out in obedience, whether it's talking to a neighbor, adopting an orphan, or even going on a trip. Lord, that we could be the ones to go. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You guys can be seated. Now, have you ever zoned out in the middle of a conversation? Ben, mostly talking to you, right? They're staring at you, you've zoned out, and you realize that you're, they're waiting for your response. And, and you start asking yourself like these questions, like, is she wearing a new outfit? Does she get a new haircut? Is there some new piece of furniture that I should notice somewhere? Um, now, it's not really our fault, really, for any of us. Um, we want to hear what's being said, but the reality is that we're still thinking about that TikTok that someone sent us earlier. I mean, have you seen that cow? It's so adorable. It's just keep licking that cute little dog. And like, even now, you're distracted, right? I've got everyone distracted. In fact, just to prove how distracted we get, um, actually, how distracted I get, this last, that last sentence and this picture alone caused a 35-minute tangent watching YouTube shorts right? Because I was like, oh, that's so cute. Oh, look at that one. Oh, that one's funny. And I'm like, I'm literally writing about being distracted, and I've become distracted. Because listen, here's the reality. It's the human condition that we're distracted from distraction by distraction. How about this? You walk out of Walmart, and you were certain that your car had been stolen, right? Because you couldn't find it. I'm stressing out. And then I remember, <laughs> I drive a 2009 Grand Caravan, minivan, with no AC. No one's stealing that. <laughs> the AC doesn't work. Uh, Mr. Elliott, we found your van. Uh, the purpose is still inside, but they've passed out from heat exhaustion, right? And I'm like, 
Oh my gosh, I forgot I left Kristen in the van. Kristen, are you okay? I forgot to let the windows down. Babe, can you hear me? Right? No, actually my van is exactly where I left it, but because I was on the phone when I went in the store and distracted, I just didn't remember. In fact, I couldn't even remember why I went there in the first place, let alone where I parked. We are so overstimulated with information. It, it's no wonder that we have difficulty listening to the people who are around us. But people are what matter most. People are what matter most. Especially if they're waiting in a hot van. So listen to what John Mark Comer says. My timing was a little bit better. It's just the remote had a little bit of a delay. So that's, we'll, we'll get this. It's, it's me. It's not, it's not you. Here's what John Mark Comer says. He says, the solution to an overbusy life is not more time. It's to slow down, simplify our lives around what really matters. It's, it's not really that I need more time to get things done. That's not the problem. The problem isn't that I need more time-saving devices or speed to get there faster. Casey, I'm kind of thinking about you right now and that nice Tesla that you have. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, we don't need speed to get there faster. What, what we need is to be better stewards of the time that we already have. Now, this is why the famous psychologist Carl Jung, he has this saying, he says, hurry is not of the devil, hurry is the devil. Hurry is not of the devil, hurry is the devil. We often get wrapped up in a million little things that aren't bad, but they, they keep us from the things that matter most and people who often need us most. And as we'll see in a few moments, hurry is not one of the practices that Jesus endorsed through his own example and lifestyle. The problem isn't having enough time for tasks. It's forgetting the people behind those tasks because they are what matter most. And this is something at which Jesus was able to do so masterfully through the example of his own life. So check out what it says here in John 4. Here's what it says. So he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that was saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Verse 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirstier or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you said is true. The woman said, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem where you worship the Father, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. 
The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. And, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. The problem isn't having enough time for tasks. It's forgetting the people who are behind those tasks that matter the most. Now, on our way to Kenya, we found ourselves, as many people do, hey, you're distracted again. I'm just kidding. You can watch the video. I just, I just mess it with you. <laughs> now, on our way to Kenya during our 15-hour flight, there was this little girl who was screaming off and on for a couple of hours. But around 3 a.m., it kind of escalated. Now, I was going to show you a video so that you could hear her, but... Honestly, I was afraid of scaring children in the room with her guttural crying and these sounds that she was making. And I mean, seriously, it was, it was surreal. And as it began to escalate, I could sense the tension rising in the cabin of the airplane. And I find myself, found myself increasingly aware of the desire for a parachute, not for myself, but for that little girl who wanted so desperately to be off of this flight. And that's when God asked me this question. In my heart, the Lord asked me, Honestly, as plain as day. Mark, when does your missions trip begin? It still cuts me. Because I had this idea of like, yeah, it starts when we start seeing other people or whatever. Or maybe the question could be better asked in this way. Mark, when do you start being on mission to love, live, and lead like my son? And that's when several of us began to pray. Um, I glanced over and two other team members near me were praying. There was one other in the back of the plane that I learned later had begun to pray, not for ourselves or for a parachute, but for that little girl. Lord, calm her heart. Bring peace to her mind. Silence her fears. Silence the voices that keep crying out and bring peace. You see, when the, when the hurry up stopped and my mind quieted to hear the Lord, a solution came. And I believe a miracle happened. That little girl was quiet for the rest of the trip and never cried out again after that. Amen? So the question might be, what will it take for us to slow down in the rapid pace of life so that the needs of the hurting around us can be met? What will it take for us to realize that each day, each day we're on mission and that we also have a story to tell? So let's go back to the words of Jesus in John 4. It says this, Jesus left Judea and departed again for Galilee and he had to pass through Samaria. So their ultimate goal was Galilee, but on the way, they typically would go a certain way, but not Jesus Jesus went the way that Jesus will go. You see, during this part of his journey, Jesus is facing persecution from the Jews for the success that he and his disciples have gained from their new followers. The scribes and the Pharisees, they were nervous because Jesus was gaining popularity over John the baptizer. And his disciples, Jesus' disciples, had baptized more than John. But it's not fear that causes Jesus to go through Samaria. It's not a way to avoid religious leaders, but instead it's, it's purpose that moves him to go the way that he does. So here's your first fill in the blank. 
You can either fill it on the paper or you can open up our app where there are notes somewhere located within that app. Here's what it says. Having a distinct purpose will help us to love, live, and lead like Jesus. Having a distinct purpose. So it's my desire to help you to understand this passage in a way where it comes to life. I don't expect you to remember these notes later on. That's not what's important or the things or my thoughts about this passage. But rather, what I want you to understand is that next time you come, to that down, come back to this passage, that you understand the principle of slowing down and having purpose and intentionality with the people who are around you, especially those who are hurting. So here we see Jesus serving with distinct purpose as they make their way back to Galilee. And when some of us read this passage about Jesus taking a different route, not going the way everyone else is going, we might get a little nervous like I do when my Apple Maps decide to take me on a shortcut, right? Anyone, anyone ever end up in a field or, or maybe late to a wedding, even though a friend calls you to tell you that your GPS is off? We're like, no, we're good. <laughs> Now, they certainly thought Jesus' GPS was off. In fact, Jesus probably even could have lost some credibility with the religious people for taking the route that he did. Even though it was a direct route, which makes sense, that's just not what they did. They considered him to be less than godly because of his approach. Because Jews didn't go through Samaria. Those people are unclean, shameful. They don't practice belief in God like we do. But this is the route that the Jews would take. They'd go way out of their way to avoid Samaria because to them, it was worth the extra journey to avoid those people. Now, for us, sometimes, maybe even speeding through the journey might be something that we do because we're in, in so much of a hurry. And in that, maybe we lose our purpose. We're rushing through life, and that's a danger that we face because we become too busy, so busy, rather than being purposeful and then being busy becomes our goal rather than being purposeful. We have all these time-saving devices, all these ways and methods to do things quicker, more efficiently, but the question is this, what have we done with all the time that we've saved? And in your hurry, have you lost your purpose? One of the things I enjoyed most about being in Kenya was, of course, joining our missionaries there. Pastor, Pastor Frederick Masha is one of them. He's a national, and um, he's the one that runs CBM. And his purpose sta statement is this, that they're dedicated to the going business. In fact, as one of our team members learned, if you eat the wrong food, you will be in the going business. Okay, sorry. CBM Africa, they're dedicated for the going business. Here it is right here. That's actually the back of Pastor Frederick. In fact, what I love about his leadership is that it's actually impossible on their website to even see a picture of him. Not because he's afraid. It's just not about him. Love that. Thought that was pretty cool. So I do get this behind picture with the um, purpose statement there. Dedicated for the going business. So they believe that you go into all creation to evangelize and disciple. Go to all sorry, go into all the world to evangelize and disciple, go to all creation and tribes, and go to all places. It's what drives their purposes, but it still calls them to intentionality and to put people, not programs, first. Everything Jesus did, of course, had a purpose. And what we're going to do is we're going to see it here. It says this in John 4, 
So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar. So Jesus, worried as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Um, here's number two. Living like Jesus means resting in God's purposes. Living like Jesus means resting in God's purposes. Now, I know it's love, live, and lead like Jesus, but you know what? Not everything fits into a fancy, nice box or works out perfectly. As I kind of looked through this passage, I felt like what led Jesus to be able to love with intentionality was how he lived first. Living well meant being able to love and meet the needs, and then, of course, leading as well. So what we see here is that Jesus is weary. He's been traveling with his disciples. They're hot, they're tired. But Jesus has a mission to fulfill. A mission that's taken them out of their way to see not a crowd of people, but one woman. And now Jesus purposely waits. Check out this video. Would you give me a drink? You, would you? Can you go to full screen? Me, a Thank you. And a woman. I'm sorry. I should have said please. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know, but not by the Messiah. So what we see from this passage is that Jesus had a reason and a purpose for going through Samaria. He's found the place he wants to be. Then he sends his followers on an errand to find food and he waits. And while he waits, he rests. And what we see throughout Jesus' life is that he is very purposeful in his time of rest. He's modeled what this looks like. Rest, waiting on God. And what he's doing during this time is waiting on God to fulfill his purposes. So. What happens when we take time to live like Jesus and to slow down to be about the Father's business? In Mark chapter 1, Jesus has this banner day of healing a crowd of people. And even Peter's own mother-in-law gets healed. A day of exhausting ministry and serving. And then it says these words, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. It's after 40 days of fasting and prayer, time alone with the Father, and resting in the Father, that Jesus is able to beat Satan in his greatest earthly battle against temptation. Jesus was not at his weakest during that 40 days of fasting and prayer. He was at his strongest. What does it look like when we rest in God? So are you catching the themes of this message? Jesus knew the purpose of resting in the Father and calls us to be purposeful in that as well. He finds purpose and the strength to live out the Father's will by resting in the Father. We simply cannot know the Father's will if we're so busy doing and we don't take time to rest in Him, to hear His voice, and to go. Nicole, I am so sorry. Nicole is back there translating for us. I'm trying to keep it nice and slow, so I'll speed up, but uh, is everything good? No, go slower, okay. 
<laughs> oh, man, so thankful for her translating uh, our service into Spanish for our guests. In fact, every idle moment that we have is filled with things. We get in the car, we switch on the radio. We're waiting at the doctor's office, so we open our social media. Sing at a red light, we recheck our text messages and emails. We are so busy during the day that as we lay our heads down at night, our thoughts continue to keep us awake, playing and replaying the day. And we've lost the ability to sit down and allow our minds to rest in God. What would happen? What kind of a revival would there be if we slowed down enough to let God teach us to not only live, but to love like Jesus? By the way, I think one of my spiritual gifts must be sleep because I have ADHD. I fall asleep like that. I'm telling you, like head on the pillow, a minute later, I'm out, like passed out. Like it's, so I'm thankful to the Lord for that. All right, here's what it says. It's not actually a spiritual gift. I'm kidding, so don't look it up. Um, Walter Adams says it this way. Hurry is the death of prayer and only impedes and spoils our work. It never advances it. With hurry, we always lose more than we gain. And as Jesus rests there by the well, he has an encounter with a Samaritan, a woman. And it's to her, the most unlikely of people, that he reveals his identity. This is the reason why it said that Jesus must pass through Samaria. Why he waits becomes clear, but he waits at the well and he patiently listens to the woman tell her story. Number three, loving like Jesus means meeting others where they are. Hey, maybe for the last service, we could work on like some sound effects when I, Gavin, could you? No, we'll work on it later. Just kidding. All right, loving like Jesus means meeting others where they are. So Jesus asked the woman for a drink, knowing that she's more thirsty than he, spiritually thirsty. Her desires to worship have been frustrated by religion, and now life has gotten really messy. So I'm going to summarize the conversation. Verse 7, he says, give me a drink. She says, why are you talking to me? Jews hate Samaritans. If you knew who I was, you'd ask me for a drink of living water. She says in verse 12, our ancestor Jacob gave us this well. Are you greater than him? His reply, what I offer isn't physical water. It's soul satisfying and leads to eternal life. Well, that would be nice. Then I wouldn't have to come here. Verse 16, he says, go and call your husband so we can continue to talk. And I don't have a husband. Yes, you're right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with right now, you're not married to. You see, Jesus not only listens, but he offers to meet the needs that she has. He listens carefully so he can address what it is that she's saying. And this allows her to feel valued, listened, and loved. My sister has this saying, and I think I've shared it before. I'm pretty sure. Um, but the saying is this, choose your heart. And it means simply that often we're faced with two hard decisions. What we sometimes discover is that one of those decisions has consequences whose price tag is much higher. Both hard decisions, but one often comes at a greater cost. And when Jesus spends time with this woman, what he does is to set her free from her hard 
You see, it's extremely difficult to live in the pain and the shame of a life spent in rejection like this woman has. She's been married five times and her current situation is that she's trading a physical relationship for a roof over her head. And even though it's difficult for this woman to have her sins exposed, it's one of the kindest and most loving things that Jesus can do for her. Choose your heart. Loving like Jesus meant sitting out in the hot sun and, and waiting. Loving like Jesus meant being uncomfortable for a little while. It meant breaking cultural barriers. It meant listening to her talk about her religious hangups. They say worship there. We say worship here. But even though Jesus spoke to her in love and, and met her where she was at, he didn't say this. Now, sweetheart, you're okay. You change when you're ready and you keep on living with your sugar daddy until Jesus never said that. You see, helping others to confront patterns of sin is hard, but watching them live a self-destructive life is even more hard. But always, always, always do it in love. James, the half-brother of Jesus, he writes this in, in his book. He says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he is made to dwell within us, but he gives more grace. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Jesus didn't give into an arguing match about where to worship and what church should look like. He doesn't condemn her adulterous heart, but what he does do is offer something better that will truly satisfy her longings, and she responds in humility. She admits that her soul longs for what he has to offer. In James 2.13, it says, mercy triumphs over judgment. I think sometimes for us, we've, we've lost the ability to listen well, to really be present with people and to love them where they're at so that God can do the work of the gospel through our being present, resting in his presence while we're there, and what it means to live, love, and lead like Jesus. During our time in Kenya, this is something that was so life-giving. Seeing the orphans and knowing that we're able to partner with CBM to provide not only two meals while they're there, but, but uniforms, teachers who will love them and teach them the gospel. You see, CBM asked this question, how do we reach Muslim boys and girls in our community? And their response, by offering them something that they don't have access to. Not only clean water that they can bathe and clean with, but an education. And so this is why we have the opportunity um, to, with the orphan sponsorship program in the, in the back of the room. Um, now remember, these don't renew automatically every year. Each year we have to get new donors unless, um, unless you choose to keep sponsoring a child. And the beautiful thing is it's only $8 a week. So if each week, I thought about this, right? If each week I could skip getting one, and I don't get this, but I'm making this up, but like if we could skip getting one large oat milk mocha frappe java chippuccino half-calf with whip, I think that's real, I don't know. You could sponsor a child, one a week, right? There are Muslim boys and girls who are hearing the gospel every week, and once a month, their guardians come to the academy to get an update. So a guardian or a family member is hearing the gospel during that time and how, about, and how Jesus changes lives. Muslim kids are able to hear about how Jesus, not religious piety, saves their souls and can fill them 
with living water, with love for the lost. Imagine what happens when we lead a generation of children held in bondage and captivity by hate and religion, and they're set free to love, live, and lead like Jesus. So please take a moment at the end of the service. Consider how you might partner with CBM. My friend Wendy Mick is back there, and she can help talk to you about what that looks like. It's very easy. You can either scan the QR code with your phone's camera um, and easily go online and fill it out while you're in the room. She can talk to you about how to do that. Um, or you can go to springhillsyouth.org um, and follow the link. The fourth thing is this. We lead like Jesus by empowering them to go. Leading like I'm not sure. Uh, I think that might be off. Leading like Jesus empowers us to go, I think is, I don't remember what, which one does your note say. Does it say leading like Jesus or lead? Leading like. Okay, good. So ignore what's on the screen. Sorry about that. I'll try to fix it. Probably will forget. Leading like Jesus empowers us to go. I'm just being honest, man. This is where I'm at right now. Um, now, I can't show the pictures of the Muslim children that have yet to be sponsored or Obviously, they'll be put in, in physical danger, but you can go to the back of the room. Be purposeful. If that's what God is calling you to, um, you can tell by some of the photos um, which ones are Muslim. Sponsor that child and be willing to pray extra hard for them to be set free from generations of, of bondage. Just like the Samaritan woman needed to be set free from religion and misspent worship, as she was set free, we see something amazing and powerful happen. Here's what it says in John 4.28. So the woman left her jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Now, we believe that her exchange with Jesus is probably a little bit longer. The gospel doesn't include everything that Jesus said nor her response. So we, we think that there was probably more that was shared there. Um, she says, come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And it said, they went out of the town and were coming to him. Verse 42 says, so it says they came and they believed for themselves and then they come back to the woman in verse 42 they said to the woman it's no longer because of what you said that we believe she shared her story but it's no longer because of what you said that we believe for we've heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world they were witnesses to her going to her sharing her story with the others who were lost and hurting you see they were looking for hope and peace and life and they found it in Christ the Messiah. In fact, it says that they begged him to stay for two more days to teach him to how to follow the way. And he did. You see, his resting in the Father became her story of victory over sin. And the whole town heard. Check out this video. The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. The time is coming and is now here. That it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. 
Do you believe what I'm telling you? Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me, I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married, but he wasn't a good man. He hurt you, and it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know, but not by the Messiah. And you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon. Just the heart. You promise? I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! <laughs>
choose to follow him and to go. So as we finish up, rest in him, seek him, take time to listen for his voice, and then create a space for him to speak directly into your heart the same way that he did with the Samaritan woman. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, he says these words, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. God, I pray that as we end this service, Father, that there may be someone here who, like the woman, they feel like their purpose in life has gone. Maybe they've never started a relationship with you. And yet, Father, this morning you are calling them to join their hearts with yours. So I'm just going to give the opportunity, and I wonder if there's anyone here, you would say, you know what, Pastor Mark, I've never accepted Christ as my Savior. But like the woman, I'm hurting. I feel lost and alone. And Jesus' offer to be my Savior, my Messiah, is one that I want to accept. I believe that He is God's Son. I believe that He died for my sins, all my wrongdoings. I believe that he died and rose again on that third day for me. That's you here this morning. Just ask you just to raise your hand real quick. We'll be praying. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And that prayer is very simple. Lord, forgive me for my sins. Wash and purify me. Cleanse me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins. Thank you for the victory over death, hell, and the grave, that you rose again on the third day, so that one day I too will rise with you in glory. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, you will be saved. There's a second group I just want to pray for. I'll make it brief. But maybe like the woman at the well, maybe you have a relationship with Jesus, but you've been hurt by religion. Worship here, don't do this, don't do that. And you found that your heart just feels jaded towards God, not because of him, but because of maybe the people who have not represented him well. I wanna pray for you this morning. Rather than raising your hand, I wonder if you just kind of Nod your head for a moment. Yes, that's me. I've been hurt. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God, I just pray this morning for all of, all of those who, Lord, have been hurt, not by you, because you're a good God. But, Father, there are many, sometimes well-meaning people who just get wrapped up, caught up in certain things, and they forget 
that the way of Jesus is simple. Love God, love others. Father, I pray just for a release from that pain, a release from the hurts. God, that this morning we would just sense breakthrough coming. Whether we're accepting you for the first time and we need breakthrough from addiction or other hangups or Father, whether it's spiritual hangups, God, that we would just sense what it means to have peace with you. God, to be able to forgive those who have hurt us, whether it's a, a parent or family member or a church leader. Father, I know even in my own life, I've unintentionally hurt people. So Father, give us freedom from that. God, we just thank you. And Lord, for all of us, God, we're not called to get here and be filled week after week after week with, with your presence and then do nothing about it. We're called to take what we've been given and to pour into others and come back and get filled and fill other people and come back and get filled. So Lord, help us, help us in that. How do you want us to go? I believe with all my heart, you've already begun speaking to so many people. Give them the courage to follow through. Give courage to those who know they need to take a moment at the back of the room and to prayerfully consider which child they could sponsor. God, be with us in this moment. And Lord, now as we take communion, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak with us and help us, God, to remember your death and resurrection and the new covenant that we share with you. So in your name we pray. Amen. So I've been reading in my quiet time in Matthew chapter 5. I thought she was done. Now you're still talking. I'm almost done, I promise, said every preacher ever. I promise I am almost done. Um, reading my quiet time, Matthew chapter 5, and one of the things that I've seen and what's been really neat is to see the, the focus shift from that of the old covenant to the new covenant in Christ's blood. And so this is the topic of discussion during the Last Supper that Jesus has with his disciples as well. So I'm going to actually read, um, not from the Gospels, but I'm going to read Paul's account. Um, Paul writes a letter to a church in a city of, called Corinth, and he's remembering this, this time that Jesus had with his disciples. And he, here's what it says in verse 23, 1 Corinthians 11:23, 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The body of Christ. Punishment for our sin, that he became the perfect sacrifice. His body broken for us so that we didn't have to endure such pain and punishment. God, I pray that as we remember your son's body broken for us, our sins paid for by his sacrifice, his pain, a reminder of what he went through for us to have eternal life. We ask God that we would remember. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let me take the bread. It says in verse 26, in the same way also he took the cup 
after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Every year they had to take sacrifice for their sins. And when Jesus spilled his blood for us, created a new covenant, and he said, no more. Once for all. Eternal forgiveness. It was just mind-blowing for the people of that time. And for us, it can become so commonplace. So let us remember together the cup Christ's blood poured out for us. God, I thank you that our sins are forgiven. And Lord, that we we have this cup to remind us, Lord, that as we accept your son, Jesus Christ, so we too are forgiven, not temporarily, but once for all who would choose to believe, choose to accept. We ask God that as the sweetness pours down our throat, so would the sweetness of your grace, your forgiveness, also compel us to not stay where we're at, but to go. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's take the cup together.